Brought to you by Leave the Ring Network. All boxing, no filter. Oh! It's another knockdown. He's not getting up, Jim. He get up. He's not getting up, Jim. He's not getting up. No, he's been knocked out. It's over. Mamma mia, he's done it. Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko. AJ does it in style. Beaten down, hopeless, without an answer, and Lomachenko has made Rigondeaux quit. It's Fistionados with Evan Rutkowski. He's a good boy, you know. Hello, fight fans. It is Thursday, August 29th, and this is the Fistionados podcast on the Leave It in the Ring radio network. I'm your host, Evan Murkowski, former HBO sports marketing executive, giving you my take on what's happening in the sport of boxing on your screen and behind the scenes. Email me at fistinados at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at fistinadospod. We are brought to you by Ring Magazine and ringtv.com. Always love giving them a shout out. And then personally, I've been traveling a bunch. So shout out to my college roommate who got married on Cuddy Hunk Island of all places off of Massachusetts where I was uh, and all my fellow Williams College alumni there. That was a lot of fun. But now we're back, back in the saddle, back in L.A., and let's get to the review section. All right. On Saturday, August 17th, on ESPN from L.A., we had Emmanuel Navarrete winning by KO3 over Francisco De Vaca for Navarrete's WBO junior featherweight title. Also on the card, Jesse Magdaleno wins by unanimous decision over Rafael Rivera at featherweight. The show averages 471,000 viewers. It was the number 54 rated cable show of the day. Uh, if you listen to my last show, you should be up to speed on a lot of the ESPN top rank uh, ratings and sort of television philosophical things that are going on. This one in particular, I don't really think there's an excuse for. It would fall uh, into the complete disaster territory. And just for a little bit more context, the lead-in for this uh, this fight was the UFC prelims, which actually averaged 817,000 viewers and was the number five cable show of the day. And the only thing you can really say in defense of the boxing here was that the UFC show was the prelims to a fairly prominent pay-per-view uh, and probably a large percentage of the audience did actually leave ESPN to go buy the pay-per-view on ESPN+. Plus. But there are a couple of layers to this one. I mean, look, first of all, one of the things I talked about last time, sample size was only two so far this year, but both times that ESPN had scheduled top-ranked boxing after a UFC prelim card, boxing did really well. It at least did better than expectations uh, both times. And here, it that, that just didn't happen at all. In fact, there was like a real precipitous drop in numbers. And you can also note just this really didn't affect the TV. I mean, it made the TV viewing not great. But if you look at the location of the UFC card, it was in Anaheim. It was the biggest UFC gate in California history. The top-ranked card was in L.A. And you could just tell by watching the show that it was – not a great gate. I think it was like $87,000. UFC did over $3 million, something like that. Um, but on to the actual fights. 
Navarrete did look really good. He definitely looked like a fighter that will make for some really fun TV with his style. Magdaleno picks up a win, and, you know, maybe, you know, he could find his way to a bigger fight in the future. Uh, Top Rank had a couple cards like this in, in August and July of last year where it's sort of truly in the dregs of summer. Uh, they didn't perform, and this is clearly not where they're going to put their top inventory. But let's we'd like to see better than this uh, in, in, in the future here from Top Rank and ESPN. All right, <clears throat> speaking of better, on to the next weekend, and let's start with a busy day of boxing on Saturday, August 24th. But the big one from Russia, where Sergei Kovalev wins by KO11 over Anthony Yard to retain his WBO light heavyweight title, also on the card, Ilunga Makabu beats Alexi Papin by majority decision in a really good fight. This one was streamed on ESPN Plus from earlier in the day. Made event was a fantastic fight. I mean, it obviously meant a lot for Kovalev. I do have to say, if I'm going to... So, this was a great... This was a really good, if not great, offering by ESPN Plus. They didn't do a great job promoting it, if I'm going to have a little bit of a bone to pick on this one. And it's something, it turned out to be compelling in the ring. Kovla basically walks into the ring knowing that if he wins, he'll probably make an eight-figure payday against Canelo in a very, like, you know, and, and, and that fight is a pretty winnable fight. I mean, he'll be an underdog for sure, and I don't think he'll win, but it's definitely on the scale of things like a winnable fight, and that would just be talk about a career resurgence if he was able to accomplish that. So, so much on the line. And I'm not disparaging ESPN boxing, like the ESPN boxing page did cover this, but like outside of that, you just really didn't see a whole lot from uh, ESPN in terms of promoting this fight. And, and there's other storylines too. I mean, this was a, you know pretty close to even odds. I and mean, I think Kovalev was like barely, you know, barely under a two to one favorite, something like that. Like Yard has a pretty interesting storyline. And, you know, even when you listen to the broadcast, like, there's just so much stuff I didn't know. Like, the guy doesn't even spar, and he's got all these crazy Instagram routines, you know. This, everything that's going on in Kovalev's life, too. I mean, you really could have built bigger storylines heading into this one. And this was one, there's not many fights that you could start promoting two or three weeks out in this day and age. This This is probably one of them. I mean, there's literally nothing going on in the sports world besides NFL training camps uh, right now. It did happen in Russia, and I actually say I, I they didn't send the ESPN crew over. They announced it from <clears throat> from America, but I actually liked I liked uh, Bernardo Osuna and then Tim Bradley and Andre Ward. I thought they did a great job in the studio here. Uh, usually that kind of stuff doesn't work out that well, but this one they had a lot of great chemistry, and and, and I liked how this all went. So good on ESPN Plus for doing this. It was a really good fight. I don't think it'll be in that top echelon of fight of the year candidates, but it definitely was a great fight and would one level below kind of what you think uh, for fight of the year stuff. Let's move on to FS1. And we had there what might end up being one of the rating success stories uh, of the summer for PBC, at least on a lower level. Brandon Figueroa beats Javier Nicolas Chacon by KO4. The show averages 345,000 viewers, peaking at 421,000 viewers. Uh, and much more importantly than the peak, it was the 69th rated show of the day, and it actually built significantly upon uh, its lead-in, which was Major League Baseball, the Colorado Rockies versus the St. Louis Cardinals game. 
That averaged 245,000 viewers, and that was the 142nd rated cable program of the day. So back to the card real quick. Also on the card, Stephen Fulton wins by KO6 over Isaac Avalar, and there are a couple lower-level fights on TV, including Omar Juarez with a KO win. Uh, but just to, you know, back on, let, let's talk more about the sort of bigger news. One of the things I've drilled home here on this show is that when boxing is on Saturday night on ESPN, it does pretty significantly better than baseball during the week on ESPN. And that's a good sign. I've talked about that in a lot of previous episodes. Like that's a real win for the sport of boxing. It's kind of like, okay, like, Boxing on a national level is doing better. Now, it doesn't beat ESPN Sunday Night Baseball, but you know when you can pick your spots like that, yes, it's doing really well. And if you look at just Fox, up until this point on Big Fox, like the Saturday Night Baseball has consistently outperformed boxing. If you're isolating Saturday nights and just looking at Big Fox, and I'm not even sure the lowest-rated baseball game so far this year has been topped by the highest-rated PBC fight on Fox. I mean, I'd have, I'd have to look that up, but, like, just going off of memory, like, that's, you know, I'm not even sure that's happened. But at the very, even if that has, even if even if there's been a PBC, PBC show that's beaten it, you can definitely say that the baseball has been outperforming boxing on Saturday night. Saturday night's a little different. There's no lead-in for either thing. You're just kind of starting at 8 o'clock Eastern and going for it. Um, and here we actually see a baseball game on Saturday night on FS1, and there's at least one fairly prominent team in terms of the Cardinals with an audience that would be more of a national audience. Uh, and now granted, it did probably get a lower rating than you'd expect, but it's not, it's not like it was a complete outlier. It's not that much lower than what you normally see on FS1 on a Saturday, uh, excuse me, during, (coughs) during the day. And then boxing comes on after it, featuring like Brandon Figueroa of all people, and it actually builds on the audience after East Coast prime time, uh, which I think is really significant. I'm not 100 percent sure what PBC did. You know, I wasn't watching FS1 or Fox all week. I don't know how if they promoted it slightly differently or anything like that. This, it, you know, the boxing was the second best rated show on FS1 on Saturday, behind a Yankees game, uh, and look. Most of the time on on FS1, baseball routinely tops boxing. Uh, still, it's like 345,000 viewers on average. Like, we're not exactly lighting the world on fire here. But I think where you can point to with the peak here is that the boxing continued to build to the main event. So people were actually actively turning on this fight throughout the process. And I think that's a significant development. I think it's a significant development that they built on baseball. And I think uh, PBC and FS1 need to take a look and see if they did, you know, what are the factors here? Maybe Brandon Figueroa is a bigger TV star than I'm aware of. um, But what other factors happened here that caused this? They should be doing more of it. Uh, This is, you know, 345,000 average is at least probably 100,000 over you know, probably more than what PBC is typically averaging uh, on these kind of fights. And and other than that Caleb Plant fight, which had the huge benefit of the NFL promotion on a Sunday, this is, I think it's by far the, the highest card that, that we've seen on FS1, other than that Caleb Plant card. So I'm not going to spend too much more time analyzing it, but I will say 
if you look at what happened in the ring, it was fairly exciting. Uh, there were four fights and four pretty quick KOs. And if I'm if I have any bone to pick, and I've talked about this before with how they do PBC on FS1, any bone to pick with this? It's like you schedule this for two hours. It starts 18 minutes late due to baseball. There's just no way. I mean, I think every boxing fan who records this stuff on, on DVR knows they have to at least do an hour after the show. Like, there's just no way when you schedule four fights that you're going to end, rem- you know, remotely close to two hours, even if one of them is only a four-rounder. Uh, and it's like they didn't do anything here that, you know, they didn't put on Lippinets Peterson or anything like that. Like, they didn't put on something where, like, the real hardcore fight fans knew about this. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Brandon Brandon Figueroa is just a bigger TV star than anyone thought. But putting on a Brandon Figueroa in kind of a mismatch is not what you think would, would draw, like, you know, 30 or 40% more viewers than what you typically draw here in, in this kind of spot. But look, and, and, and again on the matchmaking, like, I still think it's just ballsy to put on – you're basically telling people – we're putting on four fights, and they're not even remotely closely matched. When you say when 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 you're putting on four fights, and and knowing that they all kind of need to end in KO for you to to go through your schedule thing, maybe maybe PBC has been told by Fox that they really are just expecting all these cards to go two and a half hours or three hours, and it's just scheduled wrong on your on your uh, DVR. I have no idea, but. Let's. This is one to have a little bit of, of an audit afterwards, and look and see what you did right here because you did a lot of things right, and then try to repeat them as much as you can. All right, let's move on from Hermosillo, Mexico, on to Zone One. Francisco Estrada wins by KO nine over Dwayne Beeman. He retains his WBC Junior Bantamweight title. Philip Bergovich beats Mario Heredia at heavyweight in the co-main by KO three. I don't really have a whole lot to say about this. Uh, Estrada is compelling TV. I will continue to watch him. He is, you know, I'm vaguely a believer in pound-for-pound kind of stuff, but he's a pound-for-pound fighter. He's really good. All right, so for the deep dive this week, I am going to take a look at what is happening sort of at Viacom and just sort of the ripple effects of what's going to happen with Showtime Boxing, both in the short and the long term. Um, and I know I just did an episode on Showtime, but it was more looking at their schedule and kind of like pointing out, trying to figure out why it's been so bad this year, basically. But this, you know, this is the kind of thing, this is the next step in that conversation. And and maybe some of this is going to be boring to a pure fight fan. I mean, I think if you're quite frankly, if you're already listening to me, you, you probably know what's coming. This is going to definitely focus more on the corporate world. I'm going to incorporate some of the PBC stuff into it. Uh, and, and you know, what what are we going to see from Showtime in terms of boxing coming up in the future? Uh, so I'll start by giving a little background. I'll jump into what's fascinating to me because I think there's a lot of parallels in terms of what is happening on a corporate level right now between Viacom, CBS, uh, which owns Showtime, and and then what happened to me personally when I was at HBO. I mean, I'm going to try to stay away from the personal stuff, but I still think you can't avoid looking at those parallels. And then there are some notice, uh, notable differences as well, and we'll go th- through those too and, and try to see where we come out. So I think there are a number 
of other things going on right now that can just be viewed as pieces to a larger puzzle. But let's try to put them together in a coherent narrative. So I'm just going to list sort of a couple things and then try to work them together. Like, let's start with the heavy rumors coming from the Showtime side that they are unhappy with the PVC right now because of the inventory they've gotten this year. Lance Pugmire has done an excellent job reporting on this. You can read in between the lines here with what has been printed publicly and then add in what you've sort of heard with in terms of rumors. Uh, it was, you know, so just a few other noteworthy like things here. August 30th of last year was when PBC put out the press release saying that they had entered into a three-year agreement with Showtime. Uh, so we... Are approaching the end of the first year very soon. If I'm, you know, I'm not sure technically when it started, so maybe we've already passed it, but maybe we're really close to, to doing it. That's one piece of this. We've heard reporters talk about how much that's worth. It's generally assumed that both Fox and Showtime deals are worth about 100 million bucks combined to PBC. Perhaps Showtime in the 40 to 50 million range, and the Fox deal valued at around 40 to 60 million with some discretion. Uh, for shoulder programming, there's perhaps other bonuses or other sort of the equivalent when it comes to pay-per-view and ratings. That's part of the equation. In Pugmire's interview with Steven Espinoza, it was put out there that Espinoza's contract is up at the end of 2020, and Espinoza has denied that he's been offered a position to direct boxing at Fox. I will get into why I believe him on that as we go down. Like, let's add in another piece. We still haven't heard where the Wilder-Ortiz fight is going to end up, not physically where, but whether which network is it going to be Showtime or Fox. My intel is that it was always more likely to go to Fox, and then I am assuming that the delay in figuring out which network is going to televise it is essentially about the frayed relationship between Showtime and PBC. I, you know, that's that has to be part of the equation here. Um, and Pugmire has basically said on his last podcast that he did with Mike Coppinger, you know, he didn't necessarily connect those dots, but he thought PBC straight up was owed the fight due to Showtime out of loyalty and that and that Showtime, if they don't get it, is ready to pursue other fighter options. And then I'm going to tie all this back in with sort of that larger corporate discussion of, of where Showtime, not Showtime Boxing, but where Showtime as a company is headed and, and what will be expected of it now that the Viacom merger is happening. So let's start by doing a brief history of why PBC is at Showtime in the first place. Remember, PBC in its initial stages was just really Al Heyman managing Floyd Mayweather and a growing staple of other fighters. And I don't really want to get into the nuances of what started the PBC, but let's just sort of say the modern era of how PBC operates was started when HBO hired away Ken Hirschman from Showtime, which led to Steven Espinosa becoming the head of Showtime Sports. Espinoza was, of course, Oscar De La Hoya and Golden Boy's lawyer or general counsel, whatever you want to call it. But more importantly uh, and noteworthy, at the time, he had a great relationship with Heyman because Heyman's fighters were almost exclusively with Golden Boy, either under contract or in terms of a working relationship. So in a relatively short period of time, most of the Heyman fighters migrated over to Showtime from HBO. Most significantly was Floyd Mayweather. Uh, who joined on Showtime on an exclusive contract. These are Heyman fighters. I don't think the PBC was actually formed by this point yet. So this set up a universe where Showtime hosted almost exclusive PBC fighters and fights on their network. And basically at the time, it was 
exclusively Golden Boy. Uh, you know, they had Canelo Alvarez. They had a couple of Canelo Alvarez uh, fights back in this time period. Uh, PBC was, you know, they were going back and forth. I mean, in the beginning, they still had a couple fighters with HBO. And then there was a time by um, where fighters fought on a bunch of different networks. And that obviously didn't really work out in the aggregate. Uh, but even with what was going on most years, like Showtime and, and P- CBS, for that matter, got the best inventory from PBC. And this culminated in a 2018 year for Showtime where they put out a schedule in which, in my opinion, was clearly the industry leader. Uh, it was the best programming. And if you isolate the first six months of the year, it might have actually been the strongest six-month stretch of non-pay-per-view boxing going back 10, 15, maybe even 20 years on a network. You know, since then, we have basically seen the worst stretch of boxing on Showtime in years. And like I said up top, I did a recent episode on this. If you want to delve into exactly what what made that the, the worst stretch of boxing in, in quite a while, go listen to it. But the big takeaway here is... PBC has given most of its best inventory to Fox in 2019. And and even not just Fox, but more importantly, like Fox pay-per-view. Like regular Fox has been up and down with its cards. But And, and this is a key point here, and I kind of mentioned it above. I've been banging on this drum on this podcast now for the last few episodes. So I'll just make it crystal clear right now. It is evident that Fox has negotiated better splits with distributors, MSO, cable systems, satellite systems, whatever you want to call them, like for pay-per-view events. And there are very clear ramifications for this, which include the following. Like Fox, as an entity, makes a good chunk of money on these pay-per-view fights because Fox doesn't really care whether the fight is profitable or not for PBC. Fox isn't putting up any money for for these fights. They just take... A, an increasingly larger percentage of the revenue from the overall fight total than any network had previously. So this greatly incentivizes them to do more pay-per-views because the pay-per-view fights, in essence, reduce the cost of the PBC deal at Fox. So Fox is super psyched to do these. If they do the pay-per-view part well, it will probably end up lowering the price of their deal that they're paying to the PBC. I, I kind of I threw out this number last episode. It, if they do it well, and when I say well, I just mean like kind of to the level what HBO and Showtime historically have done over the past ten or fifteen years. It will probably lower the price of their deal with the PBC by as much as fifty percent, maybe even more. And even if they just do it okay it still will lower the deal a dramatic amount. This, and this isn't coming at a cost to the PBC. Like this benefits the PBC because based on the economics I'm aware of for these pay-per-view fights, it reduces PBC's out-of-pocket marketing costs. It probably also gives them a higher share of the revenue split, which means in turn that they are able to sell less pay-per-view units overall for to to make the previous same return that they were expecting or like if you're just doing a pure ab test really what it means is if fox and showtime put on the same pay-per-view fight card and it sold the exact same number of units 
then PBC would just be making more money by doing it. They'd, they would make more profit and have less upfront costs by doing it with Fox than Showtime. That's really basically what it means. So, and also there's the added benefit. Maybe if there are pay-per-view bonuses in the Fox contract, PBC might actually be making closer to the $60 million price tag associated with the Fox deal uh if, if So, you know, they could be hitting those bonuses as well. They're obviously incentivized to do these things with Fox. Big picture, like I just said, distinct advantage for PBC to go with Fox over Showtime. Why is that important for the future of boxing at Showtime? Well, Showtime or the, over the past five or six years, especially in that stretch up until Wilder Fury 1, has done an excellent job of p- putting the biggest events... They only put the biggest events possible on pay-per-view, and then they keep a very regular high-end product on regular Showtime that is not pay-per-view. Like That philosophy served them really well. There were definitely fights in the last five years of HBO's existence where even if you're someone like me, you're working at HBO and you're just thinking to yourself, this would not be a pay-per-view fight, perhaps even on Showtime, and this is now a pay-per-view fight on HBO. They did a great job distinguishing themselves in terms of that. That philosophy served them really well. They also had the luxury of doing that because they had Floyd Mayweather fighting regularly and in his big fights doing crazy, crazy, crazy business. Now, give them credit for building Deontay Wilder to the point where he is a pay-per-view fighter when he fights against the top echelon of heavyweights. And I'm not expecting his upcoming fight with Ortiz to do blockbuster numbers, but I think we can clearly say now Wilder is a pay-per-view fighter, even when he's fighting someone like Ortiz. You know, that fight, you know, should do okay on pay-per-view. It will clearly do enough money at the gate uh, and and with the pay-per-view numbers that there's no way you can afford to put that on regular Showtime boxing at this point. Part of the reason that Showtime has had such a bad 2019 is because they broke their pay scale to give Deontay Wilder such a big payday to fight Dominic Brazil on regular Showtime, not on pay-per-view. That definitely has affected the quality of their other boxing programming, and it was done to stay in the Deontay Wilder business and not lose him when he fights on pay-per-view. So I want to just take a step back here so all of you could appreciate what it would mean if the Wilder Ortiz fight heads to Fox. Not only did Showtime break their pay scale to keep Wilder Brazil, to keep that fight on regular Showtime and not on pay-per-view, depending on how much they paid for that fight, they may have actually paid something like 20 or 25% of their total yearly budget, if you believe some of the numbers that are floating around. And I'll just give you an example. Let's say Showtime's budget for paying fighters for the year in 2019 is $40 million, which which has been thrown out there. Let's say Wilder alone got paid somewhere between 15 and $20 million to take the Brazil fight. It's totally reasonable to think that Showtime put in like 8 to $10 million of that for the fight, with the rest coming from the PBC, Waddell, and Reed money. That's kind of how it's been framed in, in terms of the reporting on the fight. Could you imagine being Steven Espinoza and going to your bosses and arguing that you are probably at least tripling the largest payout you've ever given on your network to an individual fighter to keep this guy? Like, 
just by doing that, that's something that shines the light on you and the boxing programming in a real way to the to top brass. And then PBC doesn't even do you the solid of giving you the next Wilder pay-per-view fight. I mean, I'd be so mad. Like, Showtime is probably going to put on 30 to 36 fights over the course of the year just on Showtime World Championship Boxing. I'm not counting Showbox for this discussion. And that means there are probably like 60 to 70 total paydays out there for fighters. So to spend 20 to 25% on that on one fighter is just kind of crazy to begin with. And then if you don't get the Wild Ortiz fight, and it's not even that you don't get the Wild Ortiz fight, PBC has already basically said that assuming Wilder beats Ortiz, Wilder versus Fury 2, that's Fox and ESPN doing it together. So you've kind of already been told you're not getting that fight. And then if you don't get Wilder Ortiz, Espinosa is going to go, have to go back to his bosses and say that even though they made this big exception to rate this huge check way out of their normal pay scale to keep Wilder, Showtime isn't going to get to keep him. And this guy is not a star on the level of like Mayweather when Mayweather H when Mayweather Mayweather left HBO, and so this isn't like a perfect comparison here, but like when Mayweather left HBO, I mean literally in about six months, every single Al Heyman fighter was gone from HBO, and they like banned saying his name at the network. Basically, <laughs> like this moment isn't quite like that, but there are some similarities. What people don't understand is that no one at Showtime probably cares that much that like some random March or April Showtime card got a terrible rating and got like panned by boxing writers. Like that kind of stuff, it is just going to slide under the radar as long as the overall brand stays strong, as long as you keep the superstars fighting on your network, uh, even if they're on your pay-per-view network, as long as your shoulder programming keeps winning awards, which Showtime shoulder programming is excellent. Uh, even like even a few of those, if you have a few bad nights like over the course of the year, that's not really going to be a big deal. But when you do things like you break a pay scale or you lose one of your top fighters to a rival, like that's a big deal. And usually once that happens, that's when Top Brass does like a full-on investigation to what's going on. And when they see that the rest of your programming year has been has like been pretty terrible and you've done really low numbers, which is exactly what's happened at Showtime this year, like, they're really going to take a closer look. And if I was in Espinosa's shoes, he's now been put in a position where he's really almost entirely built every PBC star right now. At least, like, he's partially responsible for it. Some of them some of them were partially built on other networks during the time by, like, let's out about say that. But he, he's had a hand in almost all of them at this point. And now Fox is using all that building that he's done to run pay-per-views that have worked really well for Fox. And like I said, like basically they, they've got to be super psyched about that. They're just basically reducing the cost of their deal with the PBC. They're running 22 dates a year on Fox and FS1. And then instead of publicly complaining about it, which Espinosa Espinosa hasn't done. Every interview he's given, he's been like very complimentary of the PBC. He's given their NFL analogy and their NBA analogy where, you know, the networks work together and they publicize each other's product and yada yada yada. Like I'd be livid if I was him. Even if you're an unbiased observer here, you have to say that Fox has gotten way better treatment than Showtime this year and it, and it's not fair as to what's happening. 
But even if you take fairness out of it, if you're if you're PBC, I mean, you can't lose Showtime as a provider, at least right now. And I actually think in this scenario, there's two ways you can lose Showtime if you're PBC. Like, you can kind of screw them over so bad that they start working with other promoters, and then you just lose part or all of that forty to fifty million dollars a year that they're so supposedly spending on boxing. You can also screw them over so bad that especially with what's happening now on a corporate level, and maybe some of this is just going to be bad timing, the way it works out, that Showtime literally just gets out of boxing. Perhaps either getting out of premium level boxing, but staying in the sport on a lower level, or just getting out of boxing, period. And what are the pathways to either of those outcomes happening? Like, let's take a closer look right here. So in terms of Showtime starting to move away from PBC as their primary provider, one might say, it's, oh wait, but Showtime and PBC signed a deal last year, and it was a three-year deal, and that means PBC is going to get all that money and has all the leverage to dictate terms to Showtime, and I would say that not so fast. Espinosa, remember, comes from pretty much the premier law firm for doing TV deals. I am fairly confident that the incredibly competent people over at Showtime wouldn't have made a deal that essentially writes a $120 to $150 million check to PVC without some kind of checks and balances over a three-year period. And with Fox and ESPN, you this is an important difference. Like you don't really have to operate that way. Like they have exclusive deals with a single promoter or single content entity in the case of the PVC. And they just kind of write a big check and that entity needs to perform so that the check and balances that ESPN and Fox have are are different. What you know, Showtime doesn't sell ads against the product, so you can't just say at the end of the year, "Well, we need X gross, you know, X gross ratings points uh, for the stuff on Fox or FS1 or ESPN, or we need X number of big events that do real well in terms of audiences or other measures, X number of pay per views that show revenue, uh, these kind of sponsors that are interested in in, in working with the product." Showtime. That, I mean, ESPN and Fox have those measures, and I don't know how closely they associate everything uh, from a boxing percent, you know, perspective with that, but they're clearly looking at them. You know, Showtime needs to get and maintain subscriber levels, and boxing is just one of a diverse set of offerings that Showtime provides its subscribers. It's not the zone where boxing is the primary offering. You know, more on this later as we look at the other pathway where Showtime just sort of drops boxing. But for the purpose of what we're analyzing right now, Espinosa can't just rely on the PBC without those checks and balances. So I'm sure he didn't make a deal like that. For boxing to succeed at Showtime or any pay cable service like Showtime or HBO or even for any streaming service like DAZN or ESPN Plus that is a monthly or yearly fee, Boxing succeeds when you offer a product that is premium. You either have to have premium star fighters on it, and that's why Mayweather, Pacquiao, and Canelo are so valuable, and even if they're not fighting on pay-per-view, it's their shoulder programming that's going to be exclusive to Showtime uh, or, or HBO, or, or in DAZN's case, not even on pay-per-view, just on DAZN. Same with ESPN+. Plus. You also need like curated premium fights. Like if you're exclusively a boxing fan there, there's no reason to pay for this stuff if the same product's just available on, you know, for free on Fox or ESPN. Like 
if you lose both the stars, like Deontay Wilder, and you lose the premium curated content, like what we've seen so far in 2019 on Showtime for the most part, there is no reason to stick with the PBC. That contract that Showtime signed with PBC is sure to have outs and other ways of manipulating uh, the situation, such as Showtime can take action if PBC isn't holding up their end of the bargain. And right now, there's actually a lot of smaller promoters that aren't on solid footing in terms of having any kind of network deal where they would have control, you know, and, and I'm sure they're happy to come and talk to Showtime. Now, those promoters, there's not a whole lot out there in terms of big name fighters that you're going to that you're going to find with those promoters right now but you can probably put together solid overall fights or have them add to what you're doing and that's why I think I'll get to this in a second I think there's a middle ground here but before I get to that really at the heart of this issue is the constant conflict and tension that comes from being the PVC both you know, the PBC is both a content provider and a management company. Because being a management company means you are getting the best paydays possible for your fighters and ideally limiting the risks that they take along the way. But being a content provider means you are putting on big time, well matched fights and making sure that your stars are fighting in high profile spots. Now, those aren't always in conflict, but sometimes they are. And the Wilder situation kind of sums this up perfectly. Like, as the advisors for Wilder, PBC wanted to make sure that he got a payday commensurate with what was on the table from DAZN, at least in that first fight of the longer deal that was offered to Wilder by DAZN. He basically got, you know, depending on what you believe, he he got offered some version of $20 million for the Brazil fight as the first fight of a four-fight $120 million deal or something like that. You know... By virtue, so just by by doing that, by getting him that payday, they're doing a really good job for their fighter. But by being virtually the exclusive provider to Showtime, they also need to make sure Showtime is happy with the product being offered. And those two things are very much at odds right now, but because Showtime had to chip in so much to keep Wilder on Showtime, PBC has yet to offered them deals with any other fighters to, to start making up for that financial, you know, windfall that went to, to Wilder. But, you know, they, Showtime's got to get a deal somewhere else, basically, for that for that to work out for Showtime. They've got to get a, a couple of young up-and-comers or something like that at good deals. And they're not getting that. And I tend to try not to pick a side here, but I just... I liked, I love to observe the whole setup and the inherent conflicts. And I think a lot is just because I think this is one of the most interesting arrangement in sports just based on how it's set up. And one of the really cool things here is like, let's take this, you know, we're, we're going off on a little tangent here, but I think this, this episode is going to have some, some real tangents. So one of the really cool things you hear these rumors of Endeavor looking to purchase the PVC and then it like cooled way down. And some of that is probably because when you look at how the PBC set up, it's not really worth that much money at all, which is in stark contrast to the UFC, which is, you know, worth billions of dollars. And some of that is just structural. Like PBC is, it doesn't own or have that much real value under legal contract because Al Heyman is kind of like running this whole thing out of loyalty and getting under guys under contract as an advisor. Like it's more of an advisory or management company 
Um, and then you see that inherent conflict where the, you know, if you're being a management company, you don't really want to own a whole lot of things. You just want to get great cash flow every single time there's a transactional business. Basically, anytime there's a fight, you want to get your percentage. But then when you're a content provider, you want to actually own as much content as possible. You want to procure as much long-term value as you can for this. And what that really means is you want to have the fighters on long-term deals that are extremely favorable to you, which is in direct conflict which, uh, with the management portion of this. So, and, and, you know, I know there's like the PBC haters and fanboys out there and, the, and I, don't, I don't even really know whether any of them are rejoicing or, or uh, hating this or which side they would even come down on. But like, I think we should just take a moment to acknowledge here that without Al Heyman at the realm, like PBC isn't really a desirable entity to purchase pre- precisely because Al Heyman has been so successful as an advisor. Like, this concept is, like, I mean, I guess it's probably worth its own deep dive eventually, and I really care less about how it's set up and more, like, how the actual setup of the organization just causes pure mayhem at times in the sport, like, like right now, which I find fascinating. But going back to the issues at Showtime, you know, I do think there's a middle ground here when we're talking about this pathway, and I think... Showtime and PBC can find it like this, like there just isn't a premium product in boxing round right now lying around that isn't already tied to a specific broadcaster. So you can't just completely kick out the PBC. You would basically be lowering your standards, even from what the PBC has given you this year if you did that. But if you're Showtime, you definitely have to at least start using other promoters right now. And I think that's just to keep Showtime in check or PBC in check. You know, I mentioned this last time I did a Showtime episode, but they started doing all these Showbox things with Devin Haney. And, I mean, that didn't really work out because Haney just left and took a big contract with Eddie Hearn. But I think they should start doing other stuff like that at Showtime. Even if Showtime took one or two fights away from PBC in terms of a budgeting perspective, that could have a pretty major impact. I mean, I don't think fighters would really leave PBC, PBC like right away or anything because one or two fights went away. But... You know, more importantly, you could allow smaller promoters to actually develop some good prospects and put on some decent fights, you know, maybe with a combination of some older guys and some up-and-comers. And I think you just need to start doing that. I think you need to start giving some of the some promoters this opportunity. If, you know, if you're going to stay in business and, and, and think long-term about uh, diverting some of your budget, so – because – the smaller promoters are so far behind PBC right now, they actually need this money just to develop a farm system, basically. And look, even if 10 or 15 million got siphoned off to other promoters, like especially, look, it's an Olympic year in 2020. I mean, that's kind of a big deal. Like you're going to let people really get out there and maybe sign some bigger guys and develop some bigger fighters. I mean, look, PBC would have probably a few unhappy fighters, uh, I think more importantly, it's just a lot of revenue out the door and 10 or 20 million bucks. I mean, 10 million bucks is, you know, basically under the current setup worth probably 1.5 million to Al Heyman. I know with certain fighters, he doesn't always take a percentage. And I know with certain fighters, uh, they have to earn a certain amount to, for him to take a percentage. 
So I, don't, I, you know, I don't really know how much of of if he is truly making fifteen percent on every fighter. I think it's fair to say he's probably not. But you know, using that model, that's a lot of money to him, and that would be one of the ways to start uh, at least getting leverage if you're Showtime. I mean, at this point, it's almost like you just need leverage against PBC uh, because you know what they've given you this year just hasn't worked out. It could start a cycle. I mean, look, it like PBC to make up for that revenue could just end up being more reliant on Fox pay-per-views, uh, which, you know, isn't going to make the PBC Showtime relationship any better. Obviously, if it just means that it, you're just going to make sure that all the pay-per-views head to Fox over Showtime, uh, you don't want that to happen. So, I mean, PBC does have some leverage of their own, but, I don't quite understand what the strategy is where they can't just come to an agreement that's fair. Like, you know, I, th- I understand it from the PVC standpoint too. I mean, they likely didn't anticipate that Fox would be so happy with what they're doing on the pay-per-view part and give them so many new benefits. So to credit them, I mean, I would be putting my best up there too. Uh, but you just also need to make sure that Espinosa is happy because that's, you know, over the course of the year, 40, let's just say it's $40 million, $40 million. I mean, you know, 50% of that's a lot of money. I mean, that's 6 million bucks. So that's a key part of, of what your business model is. And you need to make sure Espinosa stays happy. So I do feel like there's a middle ground, uh, that you can do. I mean, maybe you just, in terms of tiers of a product that you offer, it's like, okay, Fox pay-per-view is going to get the priority right now. But Showtime should probably be next on the list. And then there's regular Fox and then FS1. And eventually, if this whole thing keeps going, you just get to the point where Showtime can develop their guys into pay-per-view. So they can, you know, maybe they take a little bit of a lull with pay-per-views, which they've taken in the past. That's fine. And, you know, Fox can then develop their guys into pay-per-view. And so so it's just who comes up your system. And in certain instances, you can cross-pollinate. But that's a delicate balance. And it's clearly just not happening right now. But here's the thing. Let's the bigger danger for PBC isn't that Showtime is going to pull a few fights per year because they're upset with the PBC or something like that. And it, it's that Showtime is just going to leave boxing. And here's where we can transition into that larger, more corporate conversation about what's really happening at Viacom right now. And there's a lot of larger similarities with what happened at HBO starting around 2016 and, and then what's happening at Showtime right now. You know, and I think most people, even though they're going to end up with the same result, they're thinking too myopically about this. Like, they're like, oh, my God, boxing has sucked on Showtime this year. And just like it did at HBO towards the end, they're going to leave because it sucks this year. And I actually don't think that's the case. Like, I I don't think Showtime went into this year with any intention of the programming being this bad. I think they were just like, okay, we've seen this in the past. We've seen how this works. Al is going to take some fighters over to Fox early, but then they're going to hook us up and it's all going to be good. Uh, and, you know, also, weird other side note, usually at HBO, it was right about at the end of September when budgets got decided for the following year. So, like, again, like, when you look back as to when HBO left boxing, they probably did it in the few months prior to that mid-September Canelo Triple G2 fight. But, you know, they, so so they probably had a lot of it figured out before then at a, at a very high level. But, the 
you know when you're asking for money, you know, as what happened in the years previous is that you started to see the cutbacks. You started to feel it. So if there's cutbacks next year at Showtime when it comes to this, that's when you'll know. Maybe it's not this year, but it'll, it could be next year. Uh, but they should be figuring out the 2020 budgets right now. And, I mean, usually it's you see a drop. You don't just see it completely fall off a cliff. You do see a drop for a year or two before, and that's obviously what you saw at HBO. So, so that hasn't happened yet to Showtime. That's the good news if you like Showtime boxing. But some of the other similarities are tough. Like, So Viacom is merging with CBS, and one of the major focuses is going. there's going to be some kind of CBS all-access streaming service, um, and, and Showtime's going to be part of it, and it's going to be, you know, I, and, and I actually think, I think there literally is a, a, something called CBS all-access right now, but uh, there's going to be some other Viacom streaming service. Maybe there's one or two. I don't. I don't really know what's happening, uh, but I think they're going to find similar challenges that Warner Media is now facing as Time Warner got bought by AT and T. And I think the main issue here is, you know, we're in a world where CBS owned Showtime, and Showtime made good money by operating in an ecosystem where Showtime could have somewhere between 20 and 30 million subscribers. And then CBS is operating this very traditional model on TV. And CBS routinely gets mostly like older viewers for it showed compared to other networks. Like they're in an older demo during the week and it's a lot of procedural stuff. And then CBS sports is traditionally this like excellent old school broadcaster. And they do stuff that traditionally has really high viewership. Like they're, you know, their sports, like, it's the NFL, it's, you know, March Madness, it's, you know, it, it, it's stuff like that. Going back to Showtime and, and this new world that of what they're going to have to live in, Showtime's going to have to be part of some subscription service. Probably their shows are going to be a driver for it. And how are they going to divide up what programming goes where? Because there's other parts of Viacom that are going to have to get figured out too. And so CBS and, CBS and Viacom, together own a lot of different cable networks and it probably makes sense to figure out a streaming service that puts some of these things together and this is that I mean that's that's the challenge that Warner Media is facing right now what goes into this monthly streaming service that can sort of like what you're really trying to do is drive big numbers and i think that's the key here 20 or 30 million subs isn't going to be enough and i'll get to i'll get to the point of that in a second, but let me go on another weird tangent here for a second. Cause I think this one actually speaks volumes to the overall issue. Like if you look at what's happening on a premium level sports, like not mass audience sports like the NFL, but like we're talking premium sports right now, the Viacom, the new Viacom is invested in. It's really two things. It's Bellator MMA and it's Showtime boxing. Like virtually everything else of note is on CBS, CBS sports, like NFL, SEC football, March Madness, like, you know, the stuff I mentioned earlier, but that's going for more mass appeal stuff. There is some niche stuff, but in terms of st- of, of stuff where the audience is conditioned to pay for it, it, it's 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 Bellator MMA and it's Showtime Boxing. And the even weirder thing right now is how they would look at Bellator MMA. Bellator, for for those who are primarily boxing fans, is a really interesting case. It's like the clear number two to UFC in terms of the pecking order. Uh, in MMA, I mean, and it's not even, it's not like 
HBO and Showtime were in, in since 2000 or something like that, where like, yeah, Showtime was number two for most of that, but you know, maybe it was 70, 30 or 60, 40 or, 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 you know, 55, 45, something like that. Like UFC probably has like 80 to 85% of the top fighters in MMA, something like something crazy, maybe, maybe even 90%. And, you know, Bellator has a few pretty decent fighters. And and by the way, there's other, there's one FC, you know, Bellator is only one of the other group that it's not like Bellator has 15 or 20% on their own. They're just one of a group of two or three other uh, fight platforms that has a couple decent fighters. And recently they've done some cool stuff. Like they've done some cool stuff internationally. They've developed a couple of interesting prospects, but the added crazy layers to this is Viacom actually has an ownership stake in Bellator MMA. And so then in addition to that, Bellator was never profitable, like ranged somewhere from being unprofitable to being like a financial joke, I think. And, and I don't really know. I'm going off of, Stuff I've read, uh, the, the the incredible John Nash, uh, w- the writer at Bloody Elbow, would be the one to really go to for this. But DAZN swooped in and licensed a bunch of their fights, paying them a pretty significant amount of money. I think like over a couple of years, they're paying them like close to a hundred million bucks. And here's why I bring this up because. Even if Viacom decides that on their premium OTT service, they're going to offer, it'll be like, okay, look, we don't have enough money for two fight sports, but maybe we'll just do one. You know, if they're going to include sports on it, and they may not include, it may not make sense to include any sports on it, but if they have to pick, Bellator might actually be the more favored property on this over Showtime, because if you're going to throw 40 or 50 million out of property, you probably want to do it with a property that you actually have ownership of rather than, than a property like boxing, where in boxing, the business model is just based on licensing the content for very short periods of times. And even here, like, let's take a moment to acknowledge, like, this is kind of batshit crazy that Bellator MMA would even be in the discussion as a brand of comparable value to Showtime Boxing. Like, three years ago, I'm sure no one thought, like, basically two or three years ago, Showtime Boxing, just a much more relevant brand in terms of the overall world of combat sports, uh, you know, especially in terms of premium content, combat sports. And now it's like, I actually think it's like, it might not even be close. It might be Bellator, Viacom literally owns part of it. And then Bellator owns its own content and is basically funded by DAZN. So it's now profitable. I mean, Showtime is just a hole that you're throwing money at. And Showtime boxing is built on the, you know, they used to call it great fights, no rights. And that's just going to come back to bite them in this horrible way. I mean, you know, it's this crazy, you can go down, you can, you can look at other programs too and go down these crazy rabbit holes of, oh my God, like I, you know, I just always assumed Showtime Boxing was, was a bigger brand than that. And and it's, you know, maybe not like maybe in this new world, it's not, but let's go back to the bigger picture. If you need to grow your OTT subs, boxing just isn't going to do it. And that's what HBO realized when it was being bought. It was about to go through a period where HBO was going to be looked at to be the catalyst for whatever this new Warner Media OTT thing is, and it's going to grow its subscription base. And they needed to grow it like not by tw- ten or twenty percent or something like that. Like they needed to grow the subscription base a lot. Like they needed to get to Netflix Netflix levels of subs, or probably much higher than that. Like probably significantly higher than that, and. If you're in the OTT subscription business, boxing is a great place to start because there's this 
built-in fan base that's conditioned to just sort of grin and bear the cost and they're just going to do it. But boxing is not how you grow something that needs this big-time massive growth. Like if you're Showtime and you need massive growth, it's just easier to cut boxing, you know, maybe add a half-hour comedy or another hour drama instead and give yourself another bite at the apple to make the next Game of Thrones or Billions or whatever zeitgeist show that's going to drive viewership at a, you know, truly cultural big-time level. You'd almost rather, you know, in in a five-year span, you'd just rather have five chances at doing that than you would have boxing because boxing is just not going to grow it. And five chances at getting a show like that could be huge if all it takes is one of them to, to, to really grow your subscriber base. And Game of Thrones is a bad example because it is just the biggest example ever for HBO on that, but you can have t- lots of other really culturally relevant shows have come out of, of that kind of thinking. Um, and obviously Game of Thrones will just be cited, but look, Game of Thrones costs way more than what HBO was spending on boxing. So I try not to use that example. But anyways, look, when you add in the other factors, the boxing viewership on Showtime this year has decreased significantly from last year. And now there's several other competing sporting properties that might be better for corporate growth. And it's not like it was in the previous world where it was just boxing on HBO and Showtime and you won that battle at Showtime. Now there's boxing on ESPN, Fox, and DAZN. I mean, look, that's not good. And I'm not 100% sure that boxing is just going to exit Showtime. I think most people in the boxing industry, again, they see the bad schedule and they think, oh, they're going to leave. But remember, on a corporate level, David Nevins runs Showtime. He's in line for a bigger job. He's a boxing fan. Les Moonves was a boxing fan. I've heard his replacement, you know, is, I mean, he's supposedly a sports fan. Maybe he likes boxing too. Who knows? But that stuff matters. I mean, when you're dealing with historical legacies and what is in your DNA as a company, that stuff matters. Um, I'm not even sure it, le- it makes sense to leave boxing as a whole. I mean, it might, given the portfolio of companies that's at Viacom, it might really make sense to leave high-level boxing uh, and do just lower-level boxing. Either way, I mean, I think this is like a complete disaster potentially for PBC. I mean, PBC has so many of the top fighters in the sport right now. They have 10 dates on Fox, 12 on FS1, 10 on Showtime, however many pay-per-view there are, probably four or five this year. Like, that's a lot to fill, but the Showtime money is a huge chunk of that revenue. And, I mean, they're counting on it to keep the fighters happy. Like, there's just no way even with, like, even with that many dates that you can keep all your fighters happy and pull off that delicate balancing act of, of being both a management company where all your fighters get paid well to be in the right fights and then being a content provider where you do right by your broadcast partners unless you can count on that big chunk of revenue both from Fox and from Showtime. It's weird. Losing Showtime in a lot of ways might actually be good for consumers. It would probably force better matchups on Fox, and we'd probably see a few more defections or cross-platform fights. So we'd probably see some better stuff on DAZN and ESPN, too. But, I mean, I wouldn't be happy about it. I mean, I think Showtime overall probably presents the best TV package still, even though the fights haven't been that great this year. Like, they have a really strong announcing team. I think it's safe to say that, at the very least, it's by far the least biased announcing team out there. 
they're good at marketing the fights. They make good shoulder programming. I keep talking about doing a shoulder programming episode. Right now, they still do it very traditionally, but they do an excellent job. Uh, I'd be sad to see them go. They make it feel premium. I mean, I, I've said this many times. Like, I think by the end of 2020, we will not have four major distributors of boxing at a high level. And Showtime and DAZN are definitely more likely than ESPN and Fox to be the places that leave. It'd be a shame because, I mean, I do think DAZN is providing great value to fans right now, and, and or at least starting at the end of April with their fight slate. They've done really well. And I think Showtime, like HBO, just fully understands what they're doing in terms of broadcasting the sport. You know, I don't look at this run that they're on as like a, a sign, like I said, that they're immediately going to get out. But I do see a frayed relationship between Espinosa and PBC. I mean, that's why I don't think, you know, that he denied that there was some job set up for him at Fox. Like, I don't think that's the case. I, I, I think there probably is a frayed relationship between him and the PBC right now. I think it can get fixed. There are larger corporate reasons that Viacom may say, like, hey, life's too short. Like, let's invest the money elsewhere, even though there are high-up execs that like the sport. You know, if they do leave the sport, I think it probably could have been prevented. I mean, I think there were ways. Look, if you look at the the sequence of events that led to HBO stop televising the sport, I, I think there were probably steps that could have been taken to prevent it. Not in the final year. But in the two or three years leading up to it, I definitely think. Maybe even the five or six years leading up to it. Look, as I'm coming to an end here, if Showtime were to get out of this, like let's say in 2020, the ramifications would be large. I mean, like I mentioned earlier, we'd be more likely to see some PBC fighters leaving either with Alice Blessing to fight on other platforms or just leaving the PBC period and signing other places. I mean, in the short run, it would really hurt PBC, but oddly enough, and this is the weird thing, in the long run, especially if PBC can get another year out of that Showtime deal, this could actually be the best case scenario for PBC. If they really take all their inventory from Showtime and step up their game on Fox to the point where the depths of the cards dramatically improve, and we see more star fighters on Fox, and then we see more guys being built into that pay-per-view level type of fighter, that contract with Fox is going to turn into one of the most undervalued contracts in all of sports. And I've said this many times with the Fox deal. It's incredibly high variance, low floor, high ceiling. And if PBC gets a year or two at the end of the deal to show what they can do without having to send any premium fighters over to Showtime, and they really get some good numbers in the long run. And this is especially if they can hang on to their guys. And I know this is a lot of ifs, but they will end up getting, if, if that all happens, they will end up getting a lucrative extension from Fox or someone else that can totally make up for what's happening from that by losing Showtime as a partner. Think about that. That's crazy. No one would have ever said that you know, at the beginning of this Fox deal. But that's crazy. All right. Let's move on to the preview section. On Saturday, August 31st, from London, on ESPN+, Plus, we have Vasily Lomachenko versus Luke Campbell for Loma's WBO, WBA titles, and the vacant WBC title. Also on the card, Huey Fury versus Alexander Povetkin and Charlie Edwards in some WBC flyweight title fight. Remember, this is part two of the network trade involving Jose Ramirez and Mo Hooker on DAZN. 
I've already gone over some of this in my last episode. It's now twice in a row for Loma on ESPN+. And while it's understandable that this one heads to plus because it is in the UK, it's actually kind of a shame. This is a way more competitive fight, in my opinion, than Anthony Krola. Uh, like Kovalev Yard, this one has a chance to be really competitive, really good TV. Luke Campbell is a really good fighter and offers some distinct problems for Loma physically. Uh, it's a really big event in the UK. I mean, obviously, it's Labor Day here, and that's sort of a little want-want type atmosphere for it here but this is a really good fight it has a potential to be in that top or top echelon of of fights that happened this year uh if done right it could have been a big event so to speak maybe you know maybe not a crazy big event but it could have been a bigger event uh but instead we're getting it you know from the uk on espn plus i'm actually fine with that you know who knows what happens this weekend it's labor day weekend also on saturday august 31st from fox from Minnesota, Minneapolis, actually, we have a PBC card featuring Arislandi Lara versus Ramon Alvarez for a vacant WBA interim junior middleweight title. That's so much just crap to get through to say that it's really a, a pretty crappy fight. I mean, Sebastian Fundora is on the undercard. No one else of note. This could be the weakest Fox, uh, not FS1, but Fox card of the year. Even weaker than that one that was on... Uh, NBA All-Star Weekend, it speaks to the fact that we're in the dregs of August, and this is, again, Labor Day weekend, and who knows? I mean, it, it might actually be good TV, uh, but it, it <laughs> I mean, my expectation, I think it's going to probably be a terrible TV ratings. Uh, this is this is a terrible time for TV ratings in general. I would not expect much from this card, either in action or in the, in the rating. Uh, and then, if you go to the week after, there's basically no big fights the following weekend. Usually we have at least one decent to great card that's put on in the buildup to whatever pay-per-view or now zone pay-per-view level big event that would be on Mexican Independence Day. It's not going to happen because Canelo Alvarez uh, is just doing his crazy thing with Kovalev. Uh, and at this point, we literally don't even know. I don't even know if it's it's Thursday. I'm not even sure. Golden Boy has picked up the phone yet to call main events and try to make that November 2nd deal. I'll talk about that in a future episode. It's really important that that fight happens November 2nd because the AJ Joshua, uh, uh, the AJ Ruiz 2 fight is happening on December 7th. So DAZN needs to schedule that so that one fight, uh, you can't get both fights by subscribing for one month. It encourages a year-long subscription from folks. Really important to DAZN's business model that they get that fight deal done for November 2nd. And I don't know what is going on at Golden Boy, but that is a story for another day. There's nothing really happening two weeks from now. It's going to be the first NFL weekend of the year. I'm not complaining at all. Um, I'm definitely, in honor of that, I'm going to do, because normally last year at this time, we would have done a big preview for a big pay-per-view fight on Mexican Independence Day weekend. We're not going to do that. We are just going to do a Q&A next time because this is going to be one of the lamer Mexican Independence Day weekends of fights. Maybe not in the aggregate. There are actually a couple of decent fights, but just in terms of a big-time event, it's just so lame. So um, that'll be next episode. I'll do a Q&A. I'll put that out on Twitter, too. I've already gotten a couple good... Uh, questions via email. So I'll, I'll dig those up and, and, and I'll get into it next episode. Um, and then after that, I'm not sure what we'll do. I've talked about doing an episode on shoulder programming now for a while to the point where I'm just going to have to do it. So 
Who knows? Enjoy the next two weeks. Enjoy the the Lomachenko-Campbell fight. Enjoy not having boxing on that September 7th weekend. Enjoy the NFL. Uh, Talk to you guys in two weeks. Did you get what you was looking for?